Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And uh, Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. We pray that your gospel would ring true. Lord, that you uh, would speak to each of us through your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that anything spoken that is not true or profitable would fall to the ground and that your son would be lifted up for all of us to see and to adore. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, we, um, we have a saying, uh, a phrase in our house uh, that I'm going to share with you. And the phrase is this. There's this meme. There's this meme. There's memes everywhere. My kids' generation speak of memes like my generation spoke in quotes from movies and from TV shows. It's really a marvelous and amazing thing. Um, And so uh, this is what usually starts conversations in our house. Might be exaggerating a little bit, but it is something I give my kids a hard time on. Sorry about that, guys. But it's not that I'm against memes. In fact, I have my own favorite memes. And I'm going to share with you my favorite meme, which is not really a meme at all, but it is a photograph that was being circulated a few years ago. And I just thought it was ingenious. So I'm going to share it with you. It was a meme of a, or it was a photograph of a wall that stenciled on it in beautiful script, a Bible verse. And the Bible verse was 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. If you don't know this off the top of your head, it's okay, I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Finally, brothers, aim for perfection. Aim for perfection, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So why is this my favorite meme? Well, on the wall that that was so beautifully beneath the stencil and all of the script letters were mounted a row of urinals in the men's room. <laughs> Aim for perfection, brothers. Where you aim matters, doesn't it? Where you aim matters. Whether you're hunting, right? Or you're playing darts or in the restroom. And all the ladies in the room say, Amen. Bless my wife's heart. She lives with five of us. Well, where we aim matters. And what I, <laughs> the point of all of this is that our lives are on a trajectory. We are aiming for something. And the place that we're aiming for determines a lot. It matters. We can either aim downwards, as Paul will tell us, Or we can aim upwards. We aim downwards or we aim upwards. In other words, we can focus on earthly things or we can focus on heavenly things where Christ is. Well, this is our third week in a, a short sermon series on the book of Philippians, focusing especially on the experience of anxiety. Thinking about what is anxiety... Why do we have it? Where is it? And what are its effects, particularly in the church? 
And I've been saying that we live in a very anxious age. Outside of these walls, there's all kinds of things going on. There are all kinds of things going on. And we bring that with us into the church. And the first week we talked about the, the fact that, that this anxiety actually threatens our gospel unity. And if we're not careful, we bring anxiety and it can run amok within the church. Well, today, Paul is talking about where we aim. And I want us to think about uh, what anxiety, uh, how anxiety affects us and what this has to do with this passage. And it has to do with this passage in this way. You see, anxiety engulfs us when we are aimed downwards. Anxiety engulfs us when we're aimed downward at earthly things. But when we aim upward where Christ is, we can be a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world. So that's where we're going. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. Um, and uh, we pick up sort of at the end of Philippians chapter 3. The beginning of the, the, the chapter, Paul is talking about all the things that he has gained in his life. He goes through a list And he says that I count all of my gain as rubbish, as garbage, compared to knowing the resurrected Christ. And so he goes through a list. You might know Paul's biography. He says that he was uh, circumcised on the eighth day, right? That he was born of the tribe of Judah, that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning righteousness, he said, I was a Pharisee. So he's building this big picture up of where you and I might have... What, what's most important to us is maybe the, the physical possessions or material possessions. For Paul, it was status. And he had all of this status until he met the resurrected Christ. And what he realized is that all of his righteousness paled in comparison to the righteousness of Christ. And so now he counts all of that as rubbish. And now he is covered in the righteousness of Christ. And that is far more greater than anything that he had gained. And so this is the context in which he's bringing uh, our passage that we're talking about today, which starts in verse 14. And so we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 as we begin, and we're going to see that Christian maturity aims upward. Christian maturity aims upward. And this is important because Paul will kind of say that Maturity is the antidote to anxiety. Maturity is the antidote to anxiety, and Christian maturity aims upward. So let's look at verses 14 through 17. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. So I want to stop right there. Paul aims upward, he says, leaving the downward behind. So I want you to continue to think about this diagonal picture of starting down low, aiming up. And that's what Paul is doing. And no matter where we are on our walk with Christ, we are somewhere on that trajectory. Our telos, that is the end to which we are going, is in heaven. It is with Christ, where the resurrected Christ is. And Paul says, all the other stuff in the gain I leave behind... He says, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm rising. I want to rise, as he puts it in verse 
11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is looking toward the resurrection from the dead. Why? Well, because he's met the resurrected Christ. You see, Christ's resurrection, this is part of the gospel that we've been spending time about. Christ's resurrection from the dead has implications for Paul. It has implications for you and I. And so when we are covered in Christ, we are joined and unified to Christ. His resurrection is promised to us. It counts as ours, and we are waiting for it. We stand between the resurrection of Christ and our own resurrection. And Paul is looking forward to that resurrection. So all things pale in comparison to that. In verse 15, he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So this is what maturity looks like. Have you ever wondered, if you've been walking with Christ for a number of years, maybe you've just started walking with Christ, and you might think, well, what does it mean to grow in Christ? What's the goal of maturity to Christ? Well, first of all, we start out in repenting from sin. And this is, our, this is our walk with Christ. But what we're looking for is being conformed to his image, that we might have what Paul says is the mind of Christ, that we might think like Christ. And like Christ, we might count all things below as worthless compared to the resurrection. And so that's what, resurre- that's what maturity is. And when anxiety overcomes us, It's usually because we're so focused on what's going on down here in the material world. And and Christ is up in heaven, and we are told to set our minds on the living Christ where Christ is. So this is maturity. This is what we're going through and for. This is our end, our trajectory. But there's grace in the process. He says, if you're not mature, then get on with life. Get out of here. You don't belong. That's not what he says. He says, if you're, if you're not mature, God will show this to you. Keep going. Keep looking upward. Keep aiming for the resurrection of Christ. Keep aiming for the gospel. And then finally, in verse 16, he says, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. <clears throat> So just think about the, the, the life of Christ, what Christ or the life of Paul when he encounters the resurrected Christ on the road to the Damascus. He has met Jesus and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, I'm not. How, how, do, how am I persecuting? I don't even know who you are. And he says, as long as you're persecuting my church, you're persecuting me. And that's the day that changed everything for Paul. That's the day that he attained something that all Christians attained, which is a promise of resurrection. This is what the gospel is. It is a promise of forgiveness of sins, a promise of being held in a righteous state before a holy God, found hidden in Christ, and a promise of resurrection. And this is the gospel. And this is what he's attained. He's attained, and you and I have attained, that promise. But we're not there yet, too. We've already received it, but it's not fully fulfilled. And so Paul is saying, hold fast to what we have attained, to the promise of living in hope. 
And he says in verse 17 that we need examples of this. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's talking about the apostles. And a lot of times we can read this and think that Paul is saying, hey, look, I'm so holy. Just imitate me. I think what Paul is saying here is imitate my hope. See where my trajectory is leading and put your hope there as well. I don't think he's saying, look at, uh, look at how, how wonderful I, I obey the law. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is look at where I, my hope is. Look at where I, my joy is. Look at where my gaze is. And you gaze that way as well. Because his life is a life of, uh, of, of giving everything up for the sake of Christ. And so he is our example. I don't know. Do you have an example of someone in your life? Who, who, who is like that? Whose mind is always fixed to the eternal and to Christ. I'll tell you about a friend of mine named Chris Scherf. The, uh, the day that um, one of the last conversations that I had with uh, my friend Chris was on his front porch. Just, just um, maybe days after receiving a devastating cancer diagnosis. Now, Chris was 39 years old at the time, happily married with three wonderful children. And um, I sat with him on his porch and, and talked about, I'm like, what is going through your mind right now? And talk about a non-anxious presence. My friend Chris just sat there as calm as could be for the whole time we were talking. And he said, this might not turn out good for me. This may not work out for me. I may, I may die. This may kill me. A man who had everything that I could hope for looks at me and says, you know, but the thought and the idea of seeing my Lord face to face sooner rather than later is very appealing to me. That's what this trajectory That's what Paul is saying. Keep your eyes on that. And if you have anyone in your life that is so fixed on Christ, do what they're doing. Do what they're doing. I think my friend Chris did that. So Christian maturity, it aims upward. This is what it means, I think Paul is saying, to grow in Christ. It's to always be looking upward. On the contrast, to contrast that, anxiety is always aimed downward. Let's look at verse 18. Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is saying there are enemies of of the cross of Christ. Stay away from them. Be aware of the enemies of the cross of Christ. Be aware. Watch out for them. I have told you about them. And here's how you know them. He says the enemies of the cross of Christ are focused on a downward kingdom. They're destructive. They're hedonistic. And they're shameless, is what he says. 
So I want to take each, one's, uh, each one of those because I think the umbrella term is what finishes out verse 19 there. He says, with minds set on earthly things. This is the downward kingdom. Their gaze and aim is downward. And this is what we see. First, he says, their end is destruction. I think this is what Paul is talking about. He's encouraging us to have an upward direction and aim. Here, Paul is saying, by contrast, the downward kingdom has its end down on the earthly things. And as I'm just thinking through this, I'm thinking about the, the, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And Genesis chapter three. And God, they walk with God in the cool of the day. They have communion with the Lord. And they're given an earthly kingdom, physical things, a garden to tend to and take care of. And in the midst of that is luscious fruit on only one tree they're forbidden to eat from. And that's the one that the snake, that's the one that Satan comes to them and says, doesn't that look good? In fact, everything that that physical thing represents is what, I, what the, the enemy wants us to focus on. Not what God has said about it. And so it detaches all divine meaning from the earthly realm is what the serpent does. So that Adam and Eve take that fruit for its own sake. And this is what we do with the physical world. We take it for its own sake. And the end of that, Paul says, is destruction. He says their God is their belly. Are they really worshiping their stomachs. This is a shorthand. This is, a, a, this is a God, the God, your God being your belly is those things that satiate all of our physical longings and we go after them with everything that we can. This is what materialism does. This is what materialism is. It's a desire for the thing, the physical world and the downward world for its own sake. And Jesus says, that water will never satisfy. Jesus says, I can give you living waters and you'll never thirst again. And finally, you're shameless. The enemies of, of the cross are shameless. Well, this makes sense. There has to be a way that we can explain why our love and desire for the material is not a bad thing. And we're really good at that. We're really good at that. And Paul says we need to, anytime that we do that, we become an enemy of the cross. Why? Well, because Christ came to die for our sins. And anytime that we say that our sin is not sin, that our sin is worth everything that we, we can possibly put our minds and hearts into and dedicate to, what we say is that the cross of Christ wasn't really necessary wasn't really needed. We're enemies of the cross. But that's not us. We are part of an upward kingdom. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew chapter 6, he says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? These are physical things. And I'm not saying there's things wrong with these. But listen to what Jesus says. Don't worry about them. Don't be anxious about them. 
For the Gentiles seek after those things with all their hearts. Those are the highest goods. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So what does he say? He says, you worry about, you seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. We are part of an upward kingdom. And when we focus on the downward, we become very anxious. Instead, we are called to be citizens of a non-anxious kingdom. We'll finish by looking at verses 20 and 21. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Our bodies that are craving all that the Lord doesn't want us to crave for its own sake. All of our going after status and material and relationships and all of the things that we try to fill ourselves with that never satisfy us. We will be raised in a glorious body like Christ's. He will transform that lowly, that downward body to be a glorious body like his. How? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I'm just going to close with us thinking about something that I think that we're, we're, we're in danger of as a church today. Not just Mission St. James, I just mean all of our churches. And sometimes we forget the power of God, that God has power, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. How much more power could you expect or want or desire to see or uh, benefit from? And we are, are, are living in a time when we doubt God's power but God is in the power that God is in the business of transformation and change of human beings. That's what he's doing. That's what our sanctification is about. That is what following Jesus is about. It's about changing us so that our desires and the greatest things that we could want in the world that were once down here are now pushed up here, that we now look up here. But that doesn't happen overnight. We, we, we tend to be anxious because we want, we, we're afraid. We have a scarcity mindset. Am I going to have enough money? I just need to hoard some things just so I'm going to be okay if everything goes south. But the life of faith says, don't worry about those things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. And the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is powerful enough to make sure that you have clothes on your back. You have food in your stomach and everything else that you could possibly need whether that's through relationships and companionship or whether that's through material goods. And we run the risk of not thinking that God has the power to change those things, that he has not the power to actually provide for us. But friends, if we at Mission St. James are going to be a non-anxious culture and presence within a very anxious age, then we need to make sure that our upward gaze, our gaze is always upward. That we're always looking to Christ, to his gospel and his love, not only for us, but for our neighbor as well. Because if folks come into Mission St. James and we're just an uh, anxious bunch, 
I don't think that we're going to have any way to offer the non-anxious presence of the gospel and Jesus Christ in the world. So this is our calling. This is what we're called to. And we get it by facing and looking upward, aiming upward. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your gospel, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would um, take our anxiety, those things that, uh, that, that weigh on us, that burden us. We help, pray that you would help us to grow, not that we have already attained or that this could happen overnight, but we pray that you would help us to grow in our trust in you, our trust in the power of you to raise your son from the dead. And may we be so transformed by your power and so malleable in your grasp and in your hands, Lord, that the world around us that is so anxious and desperate for peace might find it in the very doors and homes of of the members of your church and your body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.